morning, everybody. How are you? Good. Happy New Year. If we haven't seen you since Christmas, hope it's going great so far. And here we are uh, at the beginning of a new series for the start of 2024 that Ryan kicked off last week called Rhythms for Renewal. So I want to kind of reset the table, and then we're going to go forward into the practice of the Word and why the Word is indispensable for us in our Christian growth. Um, my wife and I have started to watch this series on Netflix, maybe you've seen it, called Secrets of the Blue Zone. Have you seen that? It's fascinating. This guy looks for the areas of the world where people live to be the longest. And then he travels to those areas and tries to find out what is it that these people are doing that they regularly live to be 100 years old. And so all around the world, Okinawa, and there's an island in Greece that he goes to, and he's just trying to like dig into what's happening here. And he wants to know, is there like some special superfood that they eat that if we added to our diets, we would live to be 100 as well? And you know what he discovers? He discovers that it's not one single thing done one single time, although we wish it was, it's their habits, it's their lifestyles. It's doing the same regular things over and over and over again. I wish it was simple. I wish there was some simple uh, food that I'm not currently eating that I could eat at one meal and boom, like that, it would roll back the clock 20 years in my physical body. That would be awesome. But you know that growth doesn't happen that way. Now, God does break through in our lives sometimes, and there is a massive, immediate change when we meet him. That does happen. But because we live in a world of sin, and we are still affected by sin, sin is all around us, sin is inside of us, it tends to like grow like moss around the outside, right? Or weeds in my backyard. I love the rainfall, love it. But then a few weeks later, it's just covered with weeds, right? And I got to pick them out, pick them out, pick them out. And that's you and I, this side of heaven. God will break through to us in massive ways, but we've also got to do our part to keep ourselves open and available to him. And so I love the picture that he gave last week when he talked about the parable of the man uh, who builds his house on the rock versus on the sand. And in my mind, I had always pictured this in kind of a cartoonish way, like, oh, there's a rock, like when you go to the beach and there's a big boulder, and then there's the house built up on the rock. And that, of course, was not what Jesus was talking about. And the way that we would build a building these days is we would level the ground and we would uh, you know, pour a big slab of concrete and then we would build on top of that. But concrete, it existed, but it wasn't readily available to people back in those days. The way that they would build was this. And you can see this if you go to Israel, you can see that there would be layers of civilization, and then maybe those buildings would wear out or they would get conquered by an invading army, so they would just push all the walls in to establish another flat surface, and then they would build on top of that. And then 100 years would go by or whatever, and then push it in and go on top of that. So when you go to Israel, you visit ancient cities, they're mounds, and you go up to the top layer, and archaeologists have cut into it like you would cut into a birthday cake and you can see this is the most recent civilization and then before that, before that, and before that because what are they doing? They're trying to find a solid surface on which to build. And so there'd be some digging down, wouldn't there be? There'd be some clearing away. You wouldn't just build your house on this uneven, rocky surface, but you would, you would get the rubble away. You would get the little pieces away and you would go down as far as you could to get to the part that's level. Now, 
all of us in our lives have some overgrowth that needs to be cleared away, and it needs to be cleared away regularly so that we can get down to the bedrock, which is where the identity of a Christian lies. And God can remind you, no, no, this is who you are. No, no, this, this is your real need. No, no, this is what's really true and what's really valuable. So I'm gonna give you one, let me give you one more picture and then we're going to reflect together and then we're going to get into the practice of the word. It's like walls in your house, interior walls. No one would want to live in a house without interior walls. You don't want your walls exposed. That's ugly. You can see all the pipes and the wiring behind it, everything like that. So what do we do? We put up drywall, right? And we decorate that drywall and we cover what's behind there. But what's behind there really, really matters. If your framing rots and goes bad, you're not going to have a house anymore. If your pipes leak and they're leaking water all out of the inside, you're not going to have a house anymore. So what do they do to fix it? They got to go in, they got to cut away that wall, that facade, that front to get to what's really going on. And so I wonder what that is for you. What is it that God needs to clear away? Because it's, it's something that we're carrying <clears throat> in our presentation or caring about our identity or it's what we want others to see, but it's not the real us. And I'm going to invite you to reflect on that as we enter this series, Rhythms for Renewal that there's a real you inside, and God wants to get to that real you. He wants to drill down to the bedrock and clear away whatever you're holding up as, as the outside, but it's not really you. It's just your reputation. It's just where you've come from. It's just an accomplishment or something you want to believe about yourself, but when we clear all of that away, drill inside the wall, that's where you really are. And that's, that's the level God wants to do his work. God's not into cosmetic overhauls and stuff like that. God's about getting behind and beyond all that stuff and digging down to the bedrock foundation. So I'm going to ask you in prayer to reflect on that right now. If you close your eyes. And just have a conversation between you and God. What are the walls or the overgrowth that's covering up the real you. What does God need to break through? Is it a false identity that you're carrying in front of yourself? Is it your job? Is it your reputation? At your nakedest, truest point, who are you really? Speak to us, God. Speak to us, God, that aside from any roles that we play, any titles that we hold, any accomplishments that we have to our name, there's a real self, and you want to lay claim to it, and you want to sanctify it and make it holy and transform it from the inside out. So we want to open ourselves to you now, God. We want to open ourselves to you regularly because we can't fool you. You know the real us. Help us be honest before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So in Rhythms for Renewal this morning, we're going to dive into the practice of the Word, the Word of God, the Bible. 
going to talk about why the Bible is not just important for Christian life and growth, but actually indispensable to your life as a Christian. Now, if you've been coming to this church for any amount of time, that's no surprise to you. You know that we spend a good amount of time on Sunday morning unpacking the scriptures together. But although it's important to come and listen to other people talk about the Bible and reflect on the Bible, the Bible has an everyday vital role to play in your life. And so what I want to offer is sort of seven thoughts or reflections on why the Bible has this indispensable nature. Seven things, and then at the close of the message, I'm going to give you one caution, and that's where we'll go this morning. All right, so why is the Word of God indispensable to our lives as Christians? And we're going to anchor in the book of 2 Timothy. If you want to turn there, if you've got a Bible, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 12. In case you don't know, Timothy was an associate of Paul. So as Paul traveled around in his missionary journeys, he would convert people. He would preach the truth, and people would come to be believers in Jesus Christ. And Timothy's mother and grandmother converted first, and then he converted later on, and he became a working associate of Paul. Paul trusted him. He was the leader of the church in Ephesus for a while. And then near the end of his life, as Paul is in prison, um, well, first he writes 1 Timothy, but a few years later he writes 2 Timothy. And so from jail he's writing, and we'll pick up at uh, verse 12 of chapter 3, and he says to Timothy this, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Man, okay, preach the word, Timothy. What did that mean to Timothy? when Paul said, preach the word. There's a picture in your mind, and I want to take that picture out of your mind and put in its place a more accurate picture. When you hear the phrase, preach the word, you're thinking of this, what you're seeing right now. The pastor's up front, he's holding the Bible, he's kind of reading, and then he's cross-referencing, and we're moving back and forth. And of course, that is not what Timothy was doing, because we didn't have the Bible uh, either compiled or in a book form, uh, the compilation of bringing together, okay, what are the, the, the God-breathed scriptures and what are we relying on to build this thing called the Christian faith until at least the third century? Timothy had scrolls. 
Okay, so imagine it. He's opening a partial, a partial piece of the scroll. He had complete scrolls of the Old Testament, so he would have known what the Old Testament taught. Did he have all of the books of the New Testament? Not every single one. In the early times of Christianity, there was no New Testament at all. So from the time Jesus went to heaven in about AD 33 until the early 50s, no New Testament. You say, what did they do when they came to church? Well, we get a hint from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where Paul is talking about what's orderly in worship. And he says, when you come together, there should be a hymn, and someone should have a word of instruction, and someone should have a revelation, and a tongue, and an interpretation. So it's made up of all these things. But imagine it, because how cool was this? There were people in those assemblies who were there with Jesus. So they're not reading the account of it in the Bible. They're saying, oh, yeah, remember when Jesus said this? Yeah, we were there. Remember when we showed up at the tomb and the tomb was empty? We were there. How cool. And then these Christians start to get older, and the apostles realize, we've got to write this stuff down so we can pass it on to other generations. So some of the apostles write their memoirs. It's what we call the Gospels. At that time, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John's going to come much later, around 90 AD, long after 2 Timothy is written, but now they've got the memoirs. Um, my in-laws, uh, my kids' grand grandparents, we gave them a subscription um, to something called StoryWorth. This is so cool. And so a few years ago, it would email them a question every single week about their life growing up. And all they had to do was respond to the email, and then it got compiled in a hardcover book, and we have that book. How cool. Now, their stories are better. We prefer the, the verbal stories. But someday, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, we're not going to have those verbal stories, but we will have the written record, you see? And that's how the Bible comes together. But I think in shorthand, what Paul is saying to Timothy is, I mean, the way that we preach now is, again, like we cross-reference and we're through the Bible. But I think the heart of what Paul is saying to Timothy, and this is really, really important, he says, preach the word. And based on other things that he instructs him in First and Second Timothy, I think that's another way of saying, Timothy, tell the truth. Tell the truth. Because there's a lot of false doctrine out there. Let me read you a couple of other sections from Timothy, uh, the letters. These are not going to be on screen, okay? One is uh, 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Verse 6, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. So preach the word, Timothy. Tell the truth. In a world full of wacky ideas and and ideas that begin with God, but veer way over here. Timothy, keep driving people towards the truth. And what was that truth? It was a really simple truth. It was, hey, Old Testament people, hey, Jews, you know the prophecies about the coming Messiah, and I'm here to put the exclamation point on the end of the paragraph. Jesus was him. And I think Timothy kept coming back to that simple truth again and again and again. And I point this out because the Bible is truth. The Bible is truth, and it's a simple truth. Now, it's a long book. 
And it's many different books, and it would take you a while to read cover to cover, but in the end, there's a simple truth. And while I am grateful for Bible scholars, and I am grateful for people who've written commentaries, and grateful for preachers, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. The Bible is for everyone, and you can read and understand the Bible. You don't need somebody to see secret messages between lines and numerology and explain it to you. No. The Bible is for you, and you can understand the Bible. Those people are just trying to sell books, okay? So, so take it and read it. It's the truth of God. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. That means intentional. God wanted you to have this message. God wanted you to know this. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, not every scripture is useful in the same way, but it's all useful. So that the servant of God, that's you, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that's thought number one. The Bible is true, which leads us to thought number two. The Bible is a supernatural gift from God, namely the gift of communication. Raise your hand if when you were raised, your parents ever gave you the silent treatment. Yeah. How was that for you? It's pretty awful. Okay. So, so when we uh, would get in trouble as kids, sometimes my mom would get so angry, she realized it was better not to say and express her anger. She needed like time, sometimes a lot of time. So she would just go silent on us. But that was awful as kids. Because then like you're there and you're like, okay, she's mad. Is she mad at me? Is she mad at you? Like, does she know what we've done? We know what we've done. But when she's silent, you're like, did she find out what I did? You don't know. And then you're sitting there like, when is she going to talk to me again? I don't know. The silent treatment is awful because you don't know what's in that other person's mind and heart. And now imagine if God had given us the silent treatment. If the only communication to us had been creation. Hey, I created the world. This is me. And now I'm just going to go over here and you guess who I am. Because that's what we'd have to do. We would just have to guess what God is. And it would be chaos in terms of understanding God. It would be chaos. And so the Bible gives us definition, you see, to statements like God is good. Okay, God's good. Well, how good? In what ways is he good? The Bible helps flesh those things out because you need to build your faith on a specific God. Not a general God, not an amorphous God, not a I guess or I feel like it should be this way. God, No, you need to build your faith on a specific God. And the Bible answers some specific questions that are very important. One God or many gods? The Bible has an answer to that. A personal God or kind of a cold, impersonal God? The Bible has an answer to that. The created world and everything in it on purpose, meant to be, or just accidental? The Bible has an answer to that. God and Jesus Christ has always existed or was created. The Bible has an answer to that important question. And so we value the Bible because now we're not in the dark as to who God is, okay? It doesn't tell us everything. It doesn't tell us everything, but it shines some light on this big, wonderful thing, 
we know as God. When I was in college, my buddies and I decided to uh, go from eastern North Dakota and drive through the night to Bozeman, Montana, and go skiing. So we hopped in the car at about 7 o'clock at night. It's already dark. We traded off driving. We just drove and drove and drove and drove about 10 hours. And early, early in the morning, eastern Montana is very flat, and then all of a sudden, the Rocky Mountains begin. So we hit a point where it's still dark outside, but the sun is maybe kind of starting to come up in the rearview mirror. And we're, we look out the front window, and we're like, I think that's the mountains. And as we get closer and closer, it gets lighter and lighter. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's the mountains. And we couldn't see everything until the sun had come fully up, and we could see the full majesty of what the Rocky Mountains are. And they are, mm, yeah, majestic. Like, take your breath away, majestic. Right? And that's kind of like how God expresses himself through the Bible. It's not that we know nothing. We do know things about God, and we build our, our life and our faith on that. Do we know everything? We don't know everything. Paul says it's like right now we're seeing through a glass darkly, but one day in heaven we will see face to face. So we value the Bible for shedding light on who God is. And it's not always super specific, which can be super frustrating, but we'll come back to that a little bit later. The point is this. God wants to be known by you. God is not hiding from you. God wants to be known by you. And I don't know any greater statement of his love, except perhaps sending his son Jesus and sacrificing him, but no greater statement of his love than that fact that here I am, God, and I don't have to care about you. I have the power to speak the world into existence. But I'm going to go a step further and show you that I care about you by explaining myself to you. That's the supernatural gift that the Bible is, the gift of communication. That's number two. Now, number three, in the spirit of knowing God, let me ask you this question. Would you rather, in a relationship, have the silent treatment or poor communication? And that's a trick question, because the answer is neither. Neither one is great. Silent treatment, you have to be left guessing. Poor communication, you're just missing the point all the time, all the time, all the time. And so that's number three. Although God has revealed himself through scripture, we have an obligation to him to read the Bible carefully, because that is what honors God. Now I'm going to rankle you a little bit. Okay, you ready to be rankled? Ready to be uncomfortable? Okay, here's my statement. It does not matter what the Bible says. What matters is what it means. Doesn't matter what the Bible says. What matters is what it means. Let me give you an example of what I, what I mean by that. So the way that we've handled safety with our twins, we've got five-and-a-half-year-old boy and girl, and, you know, going around adults who some may not be safe for them, the way that we've handled them, that with them, is we've given them this phrase. You are in charge of your own body. You are in charge of your own body. And we've said that to them over and over again. So last fall, my kindergarten son, my very brave kindergarten son, uh, was asked to do some kind of work in school. And he actually pulled out the line... I, my mom says, I don't have to do that because I'm in charge of my own body. Does that interpretation honor me? That does not honor me. 
Why? Did I say it? Did I say that? Yes. Did I mean it? No. So we had a little talk about, uh, okay, hold on. I'm in charge of my own body does not mean you can refuse to do any school assignment, okay? You have to do the work that the teacher says. So again, I said, and I continue to say, hey, you guys, you are in charge of your own body. But does that mean he can refuse to do what a teacher's asking? No, no. So we have to read the Bible carefully. We have a responsibility to God, who's the communicator, to get to the meaning of what he is talking about and what he's saying. So when we read something in the Bible, like we've got to back up and go, okay, okay, what did this mean to them then? What was God intending to communicate? Because otherwise, if words can just mean anything, then it just means anything, right? But the thing that honors God is, is to go, God, what are you really saying here? What do these words really mean? And that's what we build our life and our faith around. Just like God's identity and character aren't up for grabs, it's not relative to the, what do we have, 7 billion? Are we approaching 8 billion people in the world right now? Everybody doesn't get to make up their own mind about what's true about God. There's, there's, there's a truth about him right? And so same thing with the message of the Bible. The Bible has a very specific message, and when we read it, our task is to slow down and say, what does this really mean? What is it really saying? And we've got some online resources for you. Uh, every week, we post an outline online. So if you go to the main webpage and scroll down a little bit, you'll see the video from the sermon, and then there's a downloadable outline. And this is for every message that we do every week. You can read it on a device, you can print it off, but page two of that outline this week is some helpful resources on um, how do I understand, how do I read and understand what's in the Bible. There's hundreds of books out there, but I just isolated a few of them. Take advantage of those things and, and really understand what you're reading. Because, number four... Here's the effect that the Bible has when it does its work. The Bible penetrates our lives, and it speaks. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible will get in there to those hidden parts of your life, unconfessed sin, lifelong struggles, hatred towards another person. The Bible will get in there if you let it. Now, there's a very academic way to read the Bible where you can read it for information and you can tell the stories forward and backward and accumulate all this knowledge but not really be open to it. So we have to read the Bible with expectancy. We've got to come to the Bible and quiet ourselves and be honest, again, peeling away the, maybe like the, the drywall, right, and see what's really going on and say, God, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm struggling with or dealing with. Now, get in there and speak to me. That's how the Bible does its work. For years, I had, uh, I had problems with my gums. And so I would go to the dentist for the checkup, and they'd stick that little pokey thing up there, and they'd measure how deep the pocket was. And they'd say, oh, your pockets are too deep. And then they would ask, are you flossing? And then I would lie. <laughs> but it wasn't really a lie, because I would just say, well, not every day, which was true. And, uh, and then they would, they would say, well, you know, you really should look into getting a water pick. I was like, eh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just brush better. And finally... One time I went out and got a water pick. You guys use these things? 
water picks are amazing. Right? It's this little stream of water, and it gets up under the gum to areas that the brush can't possibly reach. Do you know that I got a water pick, and six months later, I went back to the dentist, and they go, you're good to go. You're good to go. So this is what the Bible will do if we let us, if we let it, right? If we approach it in a spirit of expectancy and we are honest before God, it will penetrate and get into the areas that nothing else can reach. Now, sometimes we wish that the Bible would answer specific questions about our lives. God, should I take this job or that job? God, should I date this person or not date this person? God, should I invest my money here, hold back, or wait? And we get frustrated with the Bible. So we hear other people say, oh, the Bible spoke to me. And we're like, the Bible never speaks to me. I don't know. Could it be that in those instances, what God is wanting to do is lift us up out of the weeds, above the grasses, so we can see a broader perspective? It's not that God doesn't care about the individual details of our lives, but, you know, we become so short-sighted as humans because we have a finite perspective. We know we're only going to live so long. And God's perspective is eternal and infinite. And so I would simply say, if the Bible isn't speaking to you, maybe that's God's call to don't focus here, but focus up here. And that's number five. The Bible is a lens that helps us see things more clearly. In the morning, I need to put on my glasses. I got prescription for glasses about three or four years ago. I was just finding near the end of the day from a lot of staring at the computer screen, whatever, I was a little tired in my eyes, a little bit of a headache, so I went and got my glasses. But I didn't really need them, you know, so I would always forget them at home, but it was no, no big deal. I could compensate. But then one day, I noticed, oh, I need these things. I cannot easily read what's on the page without these things. So first thing I do when I get up in the morning, I search out my glasses because I need that lens to see things as they are. And I think that happens to us in our lives, right? More and more, not less and less the longer we live as a Christian, more and more we need God's corrective lens, the Bible, to tell us what's really true. So what the Bible does is it gives us another set of concerns. You ever um, work at a job, and then have you ever left that job for another job? And so the, the day after you quit your previous job, all of a sudden, like, you're not concerned about the things in that job anymore. Has that ever happened to you? You're like, maybe that was like an everyday concern, or it was a pressure, or it was a deadline, and now you move to this other job, and all of a sudden those things are out the door. You don't have to think about them at all. But you step into this new job, and now there's a new set of concerns and things that are weighing on you or problems to be solved. And that's what God does when he lifts us out of the weeds of what's happening today, and he gives us a perspective of five years from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now. He's giving us another set of concerns, and you and I need that. The Bible answers questions that are called matters of ultimate concern. What's true? What's valuable? What's going to happen to me when I die? What is real? So we read the Bible, then we step back and we observe. Because the Bible is not meant to be a bunch of quick fixes 
that don't require any commitment on my part. The Bible calls me to slow down and immerse myself in it. And that's number six. The Bible tells a story, and you're a part of that story. It's a class I've been teaching here at the church for, gosh, 14 years. And I do it for fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And got to bring a parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, whatever. But it's called What's the Story? And in What's the Story? We use this resource called The Story from Zondervan that's in the, the outline that's online. Uh, and, and in 31 chapters, uh, 31 readings, it'll take you from the beginning of the story to the end. Because what they do is they take the Bible and they lay it out chronologically. And it reads like a novel. It reads just more smoothly. And they abridge it a little bit. They leave out some of the parts where we would normally get bogged down. But, but that way, in 31 chapters, you're reading the actual words of the Bible in a sense of the whole story. And then I challenge them on week one with this question. I tell them every play, every movie, every uh, novel has main characters, supporting characters, and the chorus. And I ask them, which part are you? Well, you're not named in the Bible. You're not Moses. You're not a supporting character, but you are the chorus. And then the question is, do the characters in the chorus still matter to the story? And the answer is, yeah, they do. Yeah. So the Bible's not your life story. You're not named in the Bible, but you are still a part of God's story nonetheless. And God challenges us when we read his word, one, to understand the broad story. Where has this been? Where is it going? And then to step back and reflect and say, where do I fit in this? Because each of us has a place in God's story. And finally, number seven, just a reminder, just a reminder for us that as Christians, we worship God, not the Bible. We worship God, not the Bible. Now, throw this next graphic up here. So God, we believe, exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what God did is this, from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the next slide's gonna have another little graph for you here. So we start with the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and God says, I created humanity, I love humanity, I wanna reveal myself to humanity so that you can build a specific faith, not a general faith, so I'm gonna speak through human authors and give you the Holy Scriptures. The Gospel of John begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. It doesn't say in the beginning was the Bible. This is important. Why do I harp on this? Because for this reason. If we think that God can be reduced to what's inside the Bible, then we're reducing God to a formula and we're making him very small. The Bible is finite. You know, at the end of Revelation, it says... If you add even a word to this, you'll be cursed and take away. Don't do that. So it's, it's set, okay? This is the Bible. It is complete. And God is contained in the Bible. There's no question. God poured himself by means of written revelation so that we could know who he was. Know everything? No. We don't know everything. 
There's a mystery to God, and we'll discover it one day. But at the close of the Gospel of John, he says Jesus did many other things as well. And if they were all written down, I suppose there wouldn't be enough libraries in the world to contain all of these things. So why emphasize this? Because sometimes we'll back ourselves into a corner as Christians and say, if it's not written in the Bible, it doesn't exist. That's a mistake. That's a mistake. Greek gods, we know what we know about them from the myths, the written myths. And so, okay, this particular God, okay, okay, that's in a nutshell. That's who God is. Don't try to put God in a nutshell. Because God is eternal, he's awesome, he's expansive, and he is still working today. To be clear, God is not going to act outside of his character. So the Bible gives us enough to understand the character of God. And he's not going to pull a 180 and do something contrary to his character, but he is going to work in your life. Where is your salvation written in the Bible? It's not there. But it's a great story that you have to tell. That somewhere in your journey, or maybe it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to, God's going to extend his hand to you and say, let me help you. You belong with me. And he's going to pour out his grace and his mercy to you, and he's going to offer you the gift of forgiveness and fellowship with him through the Holy Spirit. And that's a great story to tell. And God continues to work and work and work. God's work didn't end when the Bible was finished being written. We should celebrate the fact that God is bigger than the Bible. The Bible came from God, not the other way around. But we should celebrate that fact because it means that the work of God is not done. Job 38, read it. Job has been complaining, complaining. His friends have been complaining, complaining. And now God says, now I'm going to speak and I'm going to ask you some questions. Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I stretched out the measuring rod and and measured the... And of course, Job has no answers for that. And you and I don't have answers for that. God has the answers. So the point is, God is bigger than the Bible. It is his gift to us so that we can build a specific faith on him. But we can't build our spiritual lives only reading the Bible. God's also present when we pray. We need to have rich, vibrant prayer lives. God is also present in fellowship. We need to gather regularly together with other Christians and talk about our spiritual lives and our growth and where we're stuck and where we're encouraged, where we're discouraged. God is there as well. God is there when we sacrificially lay down our lives. We give our time, our attention, our money in sacrificial service. God is present in all of these practices. So I would just encourage you in closing, we've got to develop a balanced diet of Christian growth. Is the Bible important? Yeah, that's why we kicked off the series with it. That's why we preach the Bible and ground our messages in the Bible every single week. But we've, we've got to have other practices beyond the Bible as well to fully realize God's presence and his power and his work in our lives. You know why at this church we strive to have the things we value, a passion for God, a devotion to community, a commitment to transformation and compassion for all people? Because God did that first. God first had a passion for you. He didn't have to create us. 
He could have just been God and enjoyed being God, but he had a passion for people. And in spite of our broken condition, in spite of the mistakes that we've made, in, in spite of the hurt that we've caused other people, God's compassion for us knew no bounds, and he reached for us and offered a savior. And so because of God's passion for us, we have a passion. We return that. We have a passion for God. Because God is realized in community, it's hard to be a solo Christian. We don't advise it. Because God is realized in, in community, we have a devotion to community. Because God loves to see stories of transformation. God loves it when you open yourself up to him and you humble yourself and you go, God, I, I, I don't have all the answers. I need you to come in and speak to me, guide me, heal me, mend me. God has a passion to see you transformed. And so we have a commitment to our own transformation. And God has compassion for all people. And so we seek to imitate him in the way that we saw Jesus reach out to all, to, to all people. I spoke about this a couple weekends ago. You know, the story of the Magi represents just the continuation of the pattern of God having a family and loving a family, and that was the people of Israel, but always making openings to bring more people in, Gentiles, outsiders. And we need to behave in the same way. We should love the assembly. We should love the church that we're a part of or the small group, but always have a heart for the outsider. Say, who, who can I invite? Who can I bring in? Because the family, the story is ever expanding. Let's pray together. And as we pray together, God, we want to pray that you would open our eyes to the greatness of who you are, specifically through the scriptures, not only through the scriptures, but specifically through the scriptures, that when we read the Bible, we wouldn't be bored, we wouldn't treat it like an ordinary book, we wouldn't read it just for knowledge acquisition, but we would actually open our hearts and you would stay true to the promise of Hebrews 4.12 and your word would be living and active, penetrating inside and dividing our soul and spirit joints and marrow, judging the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. We pray along with David in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. We pray that your word would speak clearly and strongly to what our real needs are. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Give us hope where we need hope. And help us find our place in this great story that you've laid out for us. It is not our goal to reduce you or to control you, but it's our goal to seek you. So seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And Lord, when we open the pages of your holy word, we want to believe that you are near. We want to trust you. We want to, like the Bereans, examine, we search these scriptures daily in a question on what's true, and then we want to live obediently to what we see is there. Thank you for the great gift of revealing yourself to us. Thank you that you didn't abandon us and haven't abandoned us and that if we feel far from you the reality is 
You're right over our shoulder, even this morning. And all we've got to do is turn, look, take your hand. We're going to grab that hand. Thank you for your love, your provision, your comfort, your grace, your care. May you come alive to us in new ways as we adapt rhythms of renewal now in 2024. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.